Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We are starting a new series this morning, and it's on the book of Daniel. And if you give me an opportunity to make a sermon title cover with a lion on the front, I'm going to take it. So uh, this is our new uh, series uh, cover, I guess you could say. But um, this, uh, before I get into talking about the series, um, I want you all to think for a second. Think back to whenever you were in the dating phase or if you're currently in the dating phase. And I want you to think, is there a time where because of the guy you were dating or if for you guys because of the girl you were dating, you pretended to like something that you didn't really actually care much for? Can you think of an example of, of doing that? Do we have any ladies in here for who for like four months really loved the Bass Fishing Channel on TV? Any ladies? Like, oh man, that's a great lure he's using there. Uh, or how many of you guys uh, have uh, really enjoyed some antique shows or some, uh, you know, some places like that? Or I don't know what the, uh, an, an example I thought of where maybe like if, maybe if you're dating a girl who loves to go running, you know, maybe, and you're like, oh yeah, morning runs. I love morning runs, you know, and can y'all think, y'all can think of those examples. Well, there's a, there's a movie some of you maybe have seen. It's kind of old now, I guess, but it's called Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts and Richard, uh, Richard Gere, right, Greer? Okay, uh, one of the premises of the movie is this reporter is doing an article on Julia Roberts' character because she has, she's about to get married, or she's about to have her fourth wedding, but every time the wedding is about to start, she runs off, she can't go through with it. So as she's coming down the aisle, she chickens out, and she runs away. One of the things that you notice as he's interviewing all of her former fiancés is that um, whenever they talk about her, they say, oh yeah, she loves all the stuff that I love. You know, he, they'll ask the guy who's now a priest, oh yeah, she loved to do the things that I love to do. And then one of the other fiancés was a musician, a you know, car mechanic, rocker, musician. And oh yeah, she loved to ride on motorcycles and do all the things I did. And her current fiancé is a football coach. And so she's all in on football and using football and sports illustrations, okay? But one thing, the, the symbol, every time Richard Greer, Greer's character interviews the guy, he asks, how does she like her eggs? And each time, like, how does she like her eggs to be made? And each guy says, oh, just like me, scrambled. And then the next guy will say, oh, just like me, over medium. And the next guy will say, oh, just like me. And you get the idea that she really has no idea how she likes her eggs, she just says, you know, what, how he likes it. And, and one of the, the reasons I'm using this illustration is I have, in my youth ministry years, I sometimes will give advice uh, about things, often unsolicited advice. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I'll give advice, and one of the pieces of advice that I have more kids repeat back to me or call me or text me and say, hey, I, use, I told someone your advice, this, is, this piece of advice is one of the number one things that people repeat back to me, which I, I hope is a biblical truth. Um, but it is that before someone can be a health, in a healthy marriage, each person has to be a healthy whole person. Um, it's kind of a thing, if you haven't noticed, not just with teenagers, but with many people who are single, that having a boyfriend or girlfriend is a certain level of status. Like, I need to be someone that's dating someone because it says something about me, okay? Have you ever noticed that in high school? There's sometimes the guy or the girl that just spends all of high school dating someone. You know what I mean? It could be five, seven people, but it's like 
As soon as they break up with one person, it's maybe a week later, they're dating somebody else. Y'all remember these people? Okay, you know these people? And one of the things I always think is, I don't know if that person, let's say the person's name is, I'm going to make up a name, let's say the person's name is, is Stacy. I don't know if Stacy has any idea who Stacy is, except for the girlfriend version of Stacy. Does that make sense? She only knows that version of herself. And that's part of what you see in this movie and part of, part of what can happen sometimes whenever you're dating someone is sometimes, yes, marriage, the point of marriage is that when you get married, you, many, in many ways, you lay down who you are so that both of you can become one new thing. But before you can know how to lay down who you are, you kind of have to know who you are. You have to know, you know, do I like this or that? Or do I... Am I someone that is a morning person? Am I someone that is someone that cares about um, honesty and conversations deeply? I, I got to know about me. And one of the things that we're going to see uh, as we're going to go through this series of Daniel, a theme that we'll see over and over, and I promise I'll bring this back around, is these people in this new setting that they're about to be in that we're going to read about, they deeply need to know who they are in order to navigate the situation that they're about to be in. Just like a boyfriend or girlfriend, if they're eventually going to get married, they need to know before they become one, they need to know who they are before the two of them can become who we are. You with me? Okay, so if you would, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to be, uh, Gary's going to be going through the slides for me uh, so that I don't have to keep looking up and down. But I'm going to be reading and I'm going to pause and make comments as we go through. But in the book of Daniel, we start where it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He conquered it. He attacked it and he won. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. One thing you're going to see, this is something that we don't like this language often in the Old Testament, but it it's just is what it is. Often, whenever the author is trying to really make the point that if you think that this stuff is happening outside of God's purview or outside of God's control, don't think that. This is whenever it says, wait, God like just gave over Jehoiakim you know, and just said, here, here you go. Uh, you can have him, Nebuchadnezzar. That language sounds harsh to us because it seems like Jehoiakim didn't have any choice, but it's, it's an example of, of us seeing God knew what was going on. God was in control in this situation. Not that Nebuchadnezzar was the best. It's that God knew what was going to happen. God was in control. Along with some of the, uh, so he delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Ashpenaz, the, the chief official, was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So you get this idea that this is a, uh, this is a social assimilation. Is assimilation a word I can use? Is that too big of a word? It's basically a, a merging where we're going to take you and your identity, and you are now going to become one of us. 
And I, I kind of tried to read up on exactly why they would do this in ancient cultures. Like, what, what is the main purpose? And I think there's, there's a few different ones. One is, I, I have a feeling... Uh, the king is kind of saying, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to try and get all the best and brightest from all these different places, and when I conquer them, I'm going to bring them into my fold and see if I can use them for my purposes. But I think the real purpose is this. If I'm going to conquer a nation and truly conquer it, it's one thing to destroy their hometown, but it's an even deeper thing to make them move into our place and take their best and their brightest and make them one of us. Okay? That's one really painful way to see your people get conquered. It's not just to lose your home, not just to lose your, your place where you've grown up, your family land, your, your childhood memories and be thrown into a new place. It's another thing for the ones that were quote unquote the best of us for them to say that they are now fully Babylonians, fully, fully worshiping these other gods, fully invested. And one of the things that they do to take these Israelites, these uh, these select few, the best of the best, since Top Gun's been on their, our mind recently, to take the best of the best and to make them one of us is not only that, but we're going to see they're going to change their names. Among those who were chosen from the tribe of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So before you go to the next slide, you can go back one. Um, I don't want to go into all the details because we can talk about it in class. It's not quite worth it. But whenever we pick, when Catherine and I picked the name Landry Joe for our daughter, it was because we thought it sounded really sweet. Now, Joe is a family name. We have a ton of Joes on her side and my side. So there's a little bit of family name. But for the most part, it was we liked the name. But back then, and even some still today, when you name somebody, it was for a purpose. Every one of these Hebrew names means something. Daniel means God is my judge. Uh, Nathaniel, anybody have a person in your family named Nathaniel? Nathan in Hebrew means gift, El, God, gift of God, gift from God. And Daniel means God is my judge. And Mishael means who is like our God. So every time you shouted your kid's name, you were proclaiming God is my judge. Or you were proclaiming gift from God. Or in Mishael's case, you were proclaiming who is like our God. Okay? Now all of these Babylonian names are the exact same type of thing, but they are worshiping Babylonian gods. So like Belteshazzar, Bel is a Babylonian god. The name Meshach, so it was Mishael, which means who is like our god. Meshach means who is like Aku, the moon god. Okay? So now what they've done is they've taken their names, who they are, worshiping God, and said, yeah, here are your new names. Here are the new things that you're going, every time we say your name, we are declaring your praise of this other God, okay? So maybe before you think about naming your kids Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, just realize that they are worshiping uh, Babylonian gods. Just a heads up, okay? Um, uh, so let's keep reading. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God is in control. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of it. This is very realistic. He's kind of like, listen, I hear what you're saying. I'm showing you favor, but you're really putting me at risk because I'm in charge of you. So Daniel, he makes a compromise. He says to the guard and the chief official 
that was appointed over Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Okay, so notice this. Daniel went to the main guy, and he was like, I don't know if I can do that. And so now he goes to the guard, and he says, all right, can I talk with you? Here's the deal I'll make with you. Um, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. If we look great, then let us keep going. If we look terrible like you think will happen, then okay, we'll eat your food. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. I want to pause real quick. Before you get caught up, and don't let any preacher ever say this, well, now we know, you know, this happened because vegetables are better for you than this other food. Eh, that's not the point. The point is, is that they made a decision based on their trust in God. Their commandments in Leviticus and different places had said, don't eat these kinds of foods, and so they weren't going to do it. That's why they were healthier, not because vegetables are better for you, okay? Not that that's not true. I just don't want a preacher to take that message because that's not how... We don't take the Bible and go, well, you know, studies have shown that it's better for you to eat. No, no, no. It's God commanded them not to eat these things, and they chose not to. God blessed them for that choice. Now, one thing I do want to point out, I, I didn't know this until I'd studied for it this week, but some people say that the main reason why Daniel said we're not going to eat this food is less to do with it being not with their Jewish codes and laws, but more to do with the fact that when you choose to eat food from the king, in many ways you are saying, I am aligning myself with the king. He is the one who provides my daily bread, quote unquote, you know what I mean, in the Bible. Uh, give us our daily bread. By having the king's food be your dependence, your sustenance, in many ways you're saying like, all right, I'm putting myself in with this guy. Some people argue that that's really what it was for Daniel and them, was we just can't go ahead and say we're all in on we're with this, this king by eating his food and partaking in the table fellowship of that time. So let's keep reading. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. After three years... They presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Okay, you can go back one more. All right, so here's one thing that I do find very fascinating, and this is where when my mom listens to this sermon on her podcast, she's going to call me and say, I don't know if that's what's true or not, okay? So bear with me. If you disagree, come to class. Let's talk about it. But one of the things that I think is very fascinating is when you read this, I believe it is, this is something I had never thought about until this week. I believe Daniel and his friends studied up on Babylonian, Babylonian magician work and enchanting. Because it says that on all these situations, that they were the ones that were studying up, they were in all of these situations, he asked them, and they were the ones that had the right answer. Now, 
Do I believe that they used magic and they used incantations? No, I don't necessarily think that. But they, for three years, learned and were taught in all these things. And for God, their dependence was, we get these revelations and visions not because of these things, but we get these revelations and these visions because God is showing us where wisdom comes from. Okay? And so one of the things that I find fascinating, the thing that I want to bring up and, and tie together, okay, is the question that Daniel 1 and all of Daniel is asking is, will the Israelites lose their identity in this new place? Because clearly the Babylonians are trying to get them to lose their identity. The Babylonians are changing their name. They're teaching them their wisdom. They're teaching them their, their culture. All these things. And yet, you can see that Daniel and his friends are going to ask the question of how do we reconcile who we are with this new identity? This new setting that we're in. How do we find that balance? And you can see, they, they you know, there's no part in here where it says, and Daniel said, you can't call me Belteshazzar. So even though they probably called each other by their Hebrew names, they let them call them their new names. They let themselves go through three years of, of magician training, of whiz, wise sage training. They didn't go, no, no, no. I'm not reading those books. You can't make me go through this training. It clearly doesn't describe that. But they do find their place where he says, we're not going to eat this food. And so we see that in this situation, Daniel and his friends are balancing what you and I have to do all the time. We have to balance this question of how do we find our way to be in the world, but not of the world? How do we find our way to be a part of our lives, our culture, but not lose our identity in that culture? This is where that whole dating illustration comes back from the beginning of the sermon. How do we, in a marriage, find a way to become new, a new couple, a new group, while also not, yes, we want to lose ourselves for the other person in a selfless kind of way, but before you can give of yourself, you have to know who you are before you can choose to do that. And this is the situation that they are in. Now, I'm not going to get into some big old lesson on what our, I'm not going to get into some big lesson on what is our job in relationship to our culture, okay? But I'm going to tell you that there are two ends of the spectrum. One side of the spectrum says, when it comes to Christ and culture, that you have to be absolutely opposed to culture, okay? That's one end of the spectrum. And at that end of the spectrum, we see kind of, this is what you can often see, a high, high bar for faithfulness and commitment, and also a very low bar for relevance, okay? One good example would maybe be picture some German Amish communities in America, okay? They are incredibly faithful to their viewpoints to the point at which they say, nope, we're not even going to use electricity. We're not going to drive cars. We're going to use horse and buggies. We're going to keep talking German, even though everyone else talks, speaks English here. Okay? Very irrelevant. You, you, you with me? Okay. Now, the other side of the spectrum is that we completely jump, you know, all in in culture. And what you do is you really run the risk of having a very low faithfulness to God and be, being incredibly relevant, okay? So I'm not going to stand here and tell you this is what the Bible says you should do because, as we're going to see, my goal is, is that you'll read Daniel 1 and look at what they do. And you kind of come to a place for yourself. What did, 
What did these Israelites, how did they navigate these waters? And you're going to see it throughout the series. But the question I do know is, is we're often going to ask, how do I, Drew, I, thanks for your sermon on Daniel 1, but I would like to know, how do I navigate the waters of culture? How do I find the times in which I should stand firm in faithfulness and not give in to culture? And then what are some other places where being a part of the culture is going to be an opportunity for us to witness to people? How do I, how do I balance that? Should, should we participate in Christmas? Because, you know, Christmas is about Jesus' birth, but the culture makes it all about gifts and giving and, and decorating your house with lights and stuff. How do we find the balance? Here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't know the answer. But here is one thing as we go through this series. I'm going to offer commentary on it. But I really want you to wrestle with this question. But here is the question and something that I see from Daniel, in my opinion. Something that I hope you can relate to at some level. I do believe this is the truth that I want to emphasize from Daniel chapter 1 of how Daniel navigates this question. May we never be people who are so relevant to our culture that we lose our identity or so rigid that we lose our opportunity to witness. Daniel and his friends could have easily said because of our faith in God we are not even going to entertain interacting with these Babylonians at all. They could have done that, but they would have missed out on an opportunity to witness. I, I, one of the illustrations I keep thinking of is in Ukraine. Now, Russian and Ukrainian culture are practically identical, but they're still a little different. But I want you to imagine if Russia fully invades Ukraine and Putin goes into the capital of, of Ukraine, takes the best and the brightest Ukrainians, brings them back to Russia for three years and indoctrinates them on him being king and our president or whatever he goes by and purely Russian culture and I want you to picture these three Ukrainians have this question I want to hold on to my identity as a Ukrainian but I also have to find the place at which I am now in a place where I can bear witness to the king of Russia does that make sense finding that balance and we as Christians are constantly going to have to decide in my opinion I would really prefer that you not get to a point where you are so, so rigid about things that whenever it comes time for you to actually declare a witness to someone, that you're completely irrelevant to be able to interact with them. And I'd really prefer that you're not so relevant to our culture that no one can see your saltiness, as Jesus would say. No one can see what makes you stand out about being a Christian. Yeah, the salt references when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. If anyone loses its saltiness, it is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Salt is what preserves the meat whenever they didn't have refrigerators back then. The salt is what keeps it the thing instead of it deteriorating. And so what I want to challenge you with, and then we'll go, is that I love the fact that in this scene, what Daniel does is he doesn't change the world. He doesn't get on his social media and he doesn't say, I'm proclaiming to everyone here is the truth and all of you are wrong and all of you, I hate all of you and here, here we go. What he does is he takes one small act of talking to a guard and saying, I'm not going to eat this food. One act of self-discipline self because of his loyalty to God, because of his loyalty and faithfulness to a principle of I am God's, my identity is in God no matter what my circumstances look like. And that that leads to a path and an opportunity where he is now able to witness to the king of Babylon. A small act of self-discipline 
and honor and loyalty to a principle of serving God leads to a path for an opportunity to witness. And what you'll see, and my hope is, is that whether you're a teenager and you're on the football team and everybody on the football team is doing something and you're trying to find out how do I stay relevant in the football team while also not losing my identity in the football team, read Daniel. Think about Daniel. If you're in your job and everybody at your job is constantly doing stuff where you're like, I want to be relevant among my coworkers, but this is too far. How do I stay faithful? How do I not lose my identity in the midst of this while also being able to stay in your job so that someday one of your coworkers comes up to you and says, you know what, I don't know what it is, but I want to know more about whatever you're doing because I want that kind of life. You can't do that if you're not relevant and you can't